0: Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Welcome to the Andrew Lawton Show on True North, Canada's most irreverent talk show. It is Friday, September first, the beginning of a new month, heading into a long weekend, and that means back to school is upon us, which uh, has probably invoked a little bit of anxiety in you, which I apologize for. But as you like, are racing out to uh, Staples or wherever to get whatever you forgot to buy your kids for next week, just uh, throw this podcast on in the car, and hopefully we will calm your nerves a little bit because I. I want to shine a light in this particular episode on school choice. Now, I should say by way of context, this is an issue that I've cared about and have been interested in for many years now, although I think it's one that a lot of parents haven't really considered as being as relevant uh, as it is now, because it is something that we're seeing a lot of parents really start to wish to bring up, which is this choice on where they can send their kids to school. In the last few weeks, we've been talking a fair bit about the parental right battles that have been taking place in an increasing number of provinces. It started in New Brunswick, but now we see these discussions even in Ontario and in Saskatchewan and elsewhere as well, when parents are deciding to take a little bit more ownership over what their kids are being taught in the classroom and and what the schools that their children are going to are really pushing on them, or at the very least, uh, what they are supposed to be doing. And this is where we get into a bigger discussion about the education system. And I I wanted to really open Open it wide here because I know that for most people, and this was, I think, the case for me growing up in Ontario, the options that my parents considered were Catholic school or public school. That was it. Homeschool was never on the radar, private school was never on the radar as well. Some provinces have other systems available, like in the Alberta example, which has uh, charter schools that have really given a huge number of options within the public system to parents. But I want to talk about all of this. What are the choices parents are making? Making And more importantly, why are we seeing some of these changes? So we have a, a fantastic panel of guests here to delve into this. Peter Stock is the president of the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. Paige McPherson is the director of education policy at the Fraser Institute. And Catherine Cavanaugh is an Alberta liaison officer with CARDIS. Uh, it's wonderful to talk to all three of you. Thank you so much for being here today let me start with you on this page to get kind of the quantitative analysis on this because I know that you've done a a huge amount of research uh, into this for many years as I guess one would expect from a director of education policy Uh, but what are the numbers showing I mean what's actually the landscape here for what parents are, are doing with their kids?
1: Yeah, sure. So at the Fraser Institute, we do um, a lot of research tracking this kind of stuff, looking at, for example, just to begin where our students are educated. So what our enrollment patterns are showing. And it's very clear that government public schools, um, as in your experience, Andrew, my experience growing up in Ontario as well, they're the predominant form of education, really in every province. So we have a recent study looking at enrollment. And what is interesting is that although Government, public schools are where most kids in Canada are educated in every province. What's also true in every province is that we've seen growth in the number of students enrolled in independent schools or private schools. So between 2000 and 2019-20, every province saw an increase in the share of enrollment uh, for independent schools. And the provinces that have the most kids or the largest share of kids who are attending independent schools um, are B.C., So that's 13.2% of kids, so that's the largest in Canada, followed by Quebec, um, which is 11.7% of kids. And I know we'll get into this more when we talk about the policies, but both of those provinces do offer school choice policies, which empower parents to use some of their tax dollars um, to go to the school of their choice for their child. Another interesting enrollment pattern that we've seen is that every um, province in this time frame also saw an increase in the share of homeschoolers. Um, So it is a small percentage um, of of the the overall student population in Canada. It's a small but growing um, area of our education system. So Alberta had the highest rate of homeschoolers um, at 1.9% of all students. But there are some reasons why um, outside of even the kind of more philosophical or ideological reasons that you alluded to earlier, um, that parents might have some concerns about government public schools. We know that government public schools spending is going up. Um, It's it's gone up in eight of 10 provinces, total spending exceeded the amount necessary to keep up with inflation and enrollment changes. We're talking billions and billions of dollars um, spent on on, uh, on government public schools. Um, And at the same time, student achievement is dropping reading, science, math, um, student test scores in Canada are on the decline. So while the spending is going up in government public schools, our students are not performing as well. So I think there are a whole, uh, number of reasons why um, parents might seek alternative education, but there are certainly some red flags that we see in the numbers.
0: I know Paige alluded to the homeschool dimension there, but I, I wanted to go to you, Peter, on this, as that's really your, uh, your area of expertise with the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. Are you seeing numbers uh, that track with uh, the groups you work with and the people you work with, with what Paige just
2: said? Absolutely. Uh, The last three years has been wonderful for our our movement in Canada. We've seen uh, literally a doubling of the number of homeschoolers nationally. And in some provinces, uh, it almost tripled in the first year uh, of COVID. Uh, We did see those numbers fall back a little bit as uh, time went by, but uh, a massive, massive increase. And and I should mention, even prior to COVID, uh, the 15 years prior to COVID, uh, we were seeing 5% growth year over year for 15 years. So it it is actually probably the the fastest growing form of education in the country, although as Paige says, it's still a very uh, small minority amongst the uh, school population.
0: Uh, let's talk about the Alberta context specifically here, Catherine, because Alberta has always been, uh, to me anyway, one of the more alternative systems to Ontario that I've looked at that said, you know, at the very least, if we're going to make a, a smallish change that would have larger implications without totally blowing everything up, Alberta is a pretty great example of that. You, you've got a system there that has a lot of flexibility within still the public system. And I was wondering first if you could just bring up, for people that aren't as familiar with it, how does Alberta tax? this and and then beyond that are we seeing more of uh, you know examples of of parents using these independent schools uh, the charter schools there
3: totally Um, so yeah Alberta has one of the most supportive school choice environments in Canada we not only have um, our public school system our separate school system and our francophone school system we also have um, many different options for alternative school programs within the public systems and then beyond that we have our independent schools which receive 70% of operating funding. And then we have charter schools, which offer um, individual specific pedagogies, different ways of learning for each of um, in each different charter school. Um, and then we have multiple different types of homeschooling streams that parents can choose as well. Um, so the charter school world alone has really exploded in the last few years. Um, I think we have three new charter schools opening this fall and multiple other schools opening a different campus uh, in a different geographic area. Um, And we've seen so many different types of learning be introduced through these models. So we've had, you know, rural charter schools open in the last year, a classical charter school. Um, A charter school is opening in Edmonton this fall geared specifically towards uh, children from low income families. Uh, There are, you know, Suzuki music charter schools. Basically, there's a whole like no matter how your child might learn, there is an option out there that is probably a really good fit for them. Um, we've also seen our homeschooling numbers in Alberta as well. Almost they almost doubled over the last three years, and then again they've come down a little bit since uh, things have stabilized post COVID. But they're they're still um, they've gone from thirteen over thirteen thousand kids being homeschooled um, in 2019 to over twenty thousand students still being homeschooled now. Um, and then the independent school world is also seeing an explosion of interest. Um, parents are really realizing that every child is different that kids have diverse needs and we need diverse options to serve those needs. Um, And so we did an informal survey of uh, independent schools in urban areas in Alberta uh, recently. And almost every single school was either um, they either had a a long wait list or and or they were um, planning to expand their physical space or introduce uh, new programming over the next couple of years. So um, it's it's definitely a movement and parents are really realizing their kids need options and they're they're looking into practical ways to make that happen.
0: Let's talk for a moment, if we can, about the profile of a parent that homeschools specifically. Because, you know, when I was younger, as I said, it was just entirely out of anything that my family would have considered. We didn't know anyone who did. I didn't really have any exposure, even in university. I don't know if I met anyone I did. When I really started to see homeschoolers in in any real numbers was when I ran for office. And I I was introduced to some people that were part of these uh, homeschool co-ops. And, man, they are the hardest working people you will ever find uh, homeschool moms and and their kids. Uh, But, but, you know, it was exclusively religious in my view going into it. And now I've seen that change and and that I've known a lot of people that are not particularly religious or, you know, they don't fit sort of the denominational profile you'd expect. And I'm wondering if if we have any data or even anecdotally on on that, Peter, about uh, whether homeschooling is broadening beyond just that. Kind of harder line evangelical Christian demo.
2: Oh yeah, I, I think for sure uh, you can find people from any any background, the whole spectrum in society that are home educating now, and um, you know, and that and that's as as it should be. Really, uh, people are making that choice. Families are making that choice uh, for a variety of reasons, um, but. At the end of the day, I think what we're seeing is uh, general concern about where things are going in the publicly funded system. I mean, that that's that's probably going to be one of the answers, not the only answer, but one of the answers that uh, just about every parent will give you.
0: Would, would that align with what you've heard, Paige, about whether, I mean, or let me actually ask the question in a different way. Do you find values or quality is the bigger driver out of the public system?
1: Well, I, I can tell you that in terms of the polling that we've done um, of parents of kids in K-12 schools and families, I'll just give one example. Um, an area that we look at is province-wide assessment standardized testing. This is something that is declining, um, really not across the board, but in many parts of Canada and many provinces. And yet, um, like, like in terms of the number of standardized tests the amount that standardized tests matters, the ways that parents can understand basically how their kids are doing in schools, um, even um, how clear report cards are for parents to read to really understand how their kids are doing. When we have polled parents um, fairly recently on whether they should be given a clear idea of how their kids are doing in in school um, on these province-wide assessments or standardized tests, parents overwhelmingly, an overwhelming majority of parents In every province do support um, this kind of testing and yet we see it declining um, in most provinces and so that's just one of the areas in which you know I I don't think that public government public schools or maybe what the provinces education departments are um, expecting of teachers and of schools and of that accountability mechanism to parents they're just not in line with what parents are expecting to get from um, these uh, these bureaucracies to which they're giving their tax dollars without choice in the matter, um, so that's one area. But then there's also, of course, curriculum, um, and there's there's a whole number of other um, of things that I think that you know parents do have these concerns. There's also things like Discovery Math, you know, these these educational concepts that are being introduced into curricula where you see these kinds of parent advocacy groups. Uh, startup in protest because they simply are not able to help their kids with their math homework. They're seeing that their kids aren't doing as well. And as I mentioned earlier, we see on the international kind of gold standard testing, um, PISA international assessments, as well as the Pearls international assessments, that Canadian student results are, are really declining in math and science and reading. And it's, it's you know, it's our kids who are going to suffer down the line. And really, I think, you know, society as a whole, who are going to suffer if these core competencies really aren't achieved. So I think that, you know, what we've seen from, um, at least in terms of the research that we have done, and the polling that we have done from parents, we haven't done a lot on sort of the philosophical pedagogical side. But we do know that there is certainly a concern with quality. um, And there's a decline in that quality. But there's also, I think, just a disconnect between what parents expect and what they want to see, and what they're actually getting from their government public school system.
0: I'll put this to you, Catherine. Has there been any real research on outcomes at the end of it? I mean, for the most part, are, in Alberta, are charter school educated kids faring better after graduating than high school or public high school educated kids, for example, or anything else along that line?
3: Yeah, I would say there's a lot of research coming out on this. Um, and so we've done a survey at Cardis uh, called the Cardis Education Survey. We've done it since 2009, I believe. And we're looking directly at that question. What are the outcomes for, for graduates who attended different types of school? Um, and so we we ask questions to children or to to graduates, I guess, not children anymore, um, who attended public schools, you know, private Christian schools, um, uh, who were in different types of homeschooling environments, both religious and not religious, um, whether they attended like an elite independent school. Um, and the data is really, really clear that those who attended any one of the alternative options, whether it's an independent school a religious school or a homeschooling environment, um, have superb outcomes, both academically and in terms of, you know, civic participation, um, connection with their community, satisfaction with their life, satisfaction in their families. Um, And in some cases, you know, they're more financially successful. Um, In some cases, they're they're more, you know, connected to their community. Um, And so it just really shows that these different um, options and alternatives um, and different environments for learning, they, when you find one that is a best fit for each individual child, it really allows them to thrive in uh, every aspect of their life, including academically.
0: I know that there has always been this fear that in Ontario, anyway, it goes back to the 2007 election when, you know, we talked about faith-based school funding, which I thought was an entirely valid policy at the time, but ended up being the political career ender for John Tory, at least until he found a bigger political career ender a few years later. But the thing about that is that it was a perfectly reasonable policy to a lot of people who are religious but not Catholic, because, you know, as a Protestant, I would say, oh, well, yeah, absolutely. I would love to have access to the same thing that Catholic students and Catholic parents do. And, and uh, I wonder, though, if there is a bit of a concern, because I've talked to some people that have said, especially on the faith front, that uh, they enjoy being outside of the public system entirely because they feel it gives them a bit more autonomy. And I, I wanted to ask you about that. Page, as far as you know, the policy implications of coming into the public system or coming into public funding—does that force schools to really abandon the things that are why they exist in the first place?
1: Yeah, so that's a really good question, um, and. Uh, I think that we see, we, we have done research in this area. The answer, the short answer to your question is that it really depends on how the government crafts the policy. The The goal, in my view, should be that you don't want to um, squelch the innovation and customization and the tailor-made fit for every kid um, kinds of benefits that come along with um empowering families to choose alternative modes of education, whether that be giving them a portion of their tax dollars to go towards homeschooling or go towards independent schooling, whatever that might be. You want to allow those different educational models to be different, right, to um, to innovate and and provide um, that unique benefit that they can to to be the best fit for every child. The problem is that when um, governments do start funding these models, we have seen that in provinces that offer funding to independent schools, there does tend to be a higher level of regulation on those independent schools. And and the way that the policy is structured is such that, um, and this is not to say that this is a bad policy, but there in some provinces are tiers of funding, where if you follow certain levels of regulation, you'll actually get more funding. So that might be um, if you're hiring certified teachers, teachers following the provincial curriculum, Um, you might get different tiers of funding for your independent school. Um, And we also see this with homeschooling. There's three provinces that offer some level of funding for homeschooling, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and BC, and they do have higher levels of regulation on homeschooling. And many families who homeschool do have strong feelings about that. That's why they've they've chosen to homeschool. They don't want to follow um, all these different regulations that come along uh, from the provincial government that they find in their local government public school, which would have been maybe their other financial options. So I think the sweet spot for governments is, um, and, and I will say that in Ontario, where you and I both had the experience of attending public schools, K-12, um, Ontario, because it does not currently offer school choice to empower families to use their tax dollars really to choose school for their kids outside of the really government public umbrella options that you mentioned, Ontario has an opportunity now to craft a a kind of a best in the country system of school choice if it wants to, where it doesn't have to attach these heavy regulatory strings too tied to that funding. Um, it can offer funding to these different models without weighing them down with bureaucracy. So there is the opportunity for governments to craft policies in this way. But yes, how it currently stands in Canada is that the models that do there are the provinces that do offer funding do tend to have more regulation around those different models.
0: Yeah, let me get you to weigh in on that if I can, Peter. I, I mean, do you have any markedly different experiences in the provinces where there is some funding for parents
2: who homeschool versus the ones who don't? No, Paige is absolutely right. Uh, where where there's funding, there are always strings attached. And, uh, you know, that, that's that's a story that goes well beyond the educational system, of course. Um, so, so that is the case in BC, Alberta and Saskatchewan, uh, provinces that don't provide funding, with one exception... Uh, are are less regulated, let's say, uh, less heavily regulated. And the one exception is Quebec, where the approach is is uh, has nothing to do with money. It's it's ideological. The state really wants to control, and I'm going to use that word very specifically. They want to control what kids are learning. So they they are imposing uh, the state-run educational system on homeschoolers and and independent schools, private schools in that province.
0: So, I mean, ultimately, the best system would be, and this is like my inner libertarian shining here, and that, you know, every parent or every child gets a certain number of dollars allocated. And if the parent wants to put that towards the government-run school, they can. If they want to put it towards homeschooling, they can. If they want to put it towards a fully-fledged, completely private school, and maybe it only covers a portion of the tuition, let them do that. I, I don't think anyone in Canadian politics is bringing that idea up. But are there policy models that you've seen, Catherine, that you like? If we were to just create it from scratch that you would really emulate?
3: Well, we see in most countries around the world, actually, that they they all have slightly different um, exact structures, but most countries around the world do fund the, like, several different types of schooling options, specifically independent schools. Um, to a much higher degree than any province in Canada does, even Alberta. And Alberta has the highest funding um, in Canada. So there's certainly a lot of room to move down that road to different funding models so that we could empower parents to make the best choices for their children. Um, the true crux of educational pluralism would be a system that respects parental um. Uh, knowledge of their children, one that has a, a a reasonable and proper degree of accountability, and and one that is equitable. Um, and so, we'd love to see steps taken towards um, a, a policy that would that would include all those three elements. And we see countries like th- these are, um, you know, these are like G seven countries that do this: the United Kingdom, um, other countries such as like Denmark, South Korea, all very high academically performing. Um, have policies like this. And so there, Canada is the outlier in, in not doing so.
0: I know, Paige, the opposition you get to the school voucher model that I just laid out is that it basically siphons money away from the public system. That's the argument that you get. It's the uh, not a particularly compelling argument, though, because as you've pointed out at the beginning of this show, uh, the public system itself does not have a correlation between educational outcome and dollars spent.
1: Right. Yeah. So so the reality is that pouring more money into government public schools is not improving government public schools. I mean, that's the long and short of it. The data really clearly shows that, um, at least in terms of student success, which, of course, is probably what we want out of our government public schools or any school to which we send our child. I think the the real issue is that um, a lot of families simply cannot afford educational choice. Um, And and that is to say that if they would like to homeschool or they'd like to send their child to an independent school, it's just simply not an affordable option for them. The cost of living is going up. Uh, We know this. We know that that, things are tight for families right now. And that even in the provinces where independent schools do receive funding, um, that it is uh, still difficult for many families to, to, to be able to send their kid to one of those schools. And in, in the case of homeschooling, for a parent to go to part-time work or um, for a, one parent to stop working altogether, um, you know, this is just not a financially viable option, especially in many of our larger urban centres in Canada. Um, so I think that what governments need to um, to do is to, to seek policies that make this um, a more affordable option and make it so that parents are really in the driver's seat and they can really make that choice. You know, Which is the best educational fit for my child? I'm gonna send my child to that school. If it so happens that our government public schools are providing a world-class education, then parents will choose that option. And we see in the data that I mentioned right off the top that the vast majority of children are educated in government public schools in Canada today. So the concern that we're going to be siphoning money away from, uh, from government public schools I mean, it's it's the, the reason that we we spend education tax dollars is to educate students. It's not about supporting one school system. It's about supporting our students. And so that's where the money should be going. It should be going to students and whatever fits them best. And um, I think that the irony in the argument that you presented is that if You know, there was that level of competition where government public schools then have to be a little bit more innovative to compete to try and draw students to attend their schools, then it could actually allow for some really unique and beneficial things for students and families to come out of those schools if they did have that drive to compete and uh, and to be to be truly excellent, Um, but. Yes. I mean, the the short answer is if government public schools are doing a bang up job and they're um, they're offering the absolute best education, then there's absolutely no reason that families would take their children out of those school systems. And if it so happens that they're not offering um, that for every child, then it should be on government public schools to figure out why and to try to do better.
0: Well, I, I think that's a, a very valid point, Paige. And I, I would actually be interested in doing just anecdotally, a, a few conversations with parents and say, if money were no object, where would you send your kids to school? And, and some may say, you know, the public system, because they think the public system is there for everyone. But I suspect there are a lot who would really take another option if it were there. And I, I should say, as a bit of a caveat to that, I learned not that long ago that the dynamics and the, the demographics in private schools are are a lot more middle class than I I would have thought, and and there you have I think a really useful bit of information, and in that you see how much parents really want that parents where that is a very difficult financial decision to make uh, to get their kids into a, a private school where they have to pay tuition, and they're they're still doing that. I see you nodding, Catherine. So I'll, I'll get you to to weigh in on that if you have any thoughts.
3: We did a study on this in Alberta a few years ago, and we found those exact same results. Um, parents overwhelmingly that send their children to an independent school, you know, make, I think it's an average of around $90,000 a year, which especially when you have multiple children attending one school is not that much money. Um, especially given as Paige said, like inflationary pressures we're dealing with right now. Um, they were also less likely to make, um, they were more likely to make less than the average, uh, median wage in Alberta. And they, the overwhelming majority of them were making significant sacrifices in other places to be able to send their children to these independent schools. So, yes, elite schools do exist, ones that cost tens of thousands of thousands of dollars a year, but those are definitely the minority and those people, the people that go to those schools will always have a way to to get the education for their children that they want. Those who are wealthy Will always be able to, you know, supplement the education that they might not be getting with extracurriculars or tutoring or tuition for an independent school. It's really those who um, are poor or who have other challenges in their lives um, who are disadvantaged by our current school system because they don't have those options. If they're not getting a great education, they probably can't afford to go to an independent school. They might not be. Able to logistically coordinate to go to a different public school, a better performing public school or a charter school, as Paige said, they probably don't have a parent who can afford to take the time or effort to homeschool them. Um, And so the system as it exists now is ultimately very unfair, um, and it's those who are disadvantaged who are getting left behind even further.
0: I'll give you the the last word, Peter, and I'll ask you sort of an inverted version of of the question that, that we were just talking about, which is that do you see homeschooling as being a desirable form of education in and of itself, or do you view it as being the option that's left over because everything else is not adequate or is not within reach for people?
2: No, I, I definitely see it as 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 a preferable option for and and as we've been talking about for families that that can afford it. Because uh, first of all, on that point, um, there there really is an adjustment in lifestyle that's that's required if you're going to home educate. Uh, you you know, parents you got a like, bit of a glimpse
0: of that in the last few years, I think. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you are generally looking at a parent giving up an income. And so living on a single income is usually where most homeschool families are at. So that, that provides its own challenges. And, uh, and as we said, we're in an inflationary environment, so it, it can be tough. So, so we have to, we have to change our expectations about what's possible as a family with our finances when we home educate. But if we've made that decision, um, our kids benefit tremendously because they're getting something that you can't get almost anywhere else, and that and that's one-on-one instruction from instructors who understand the children are, and are with them year after year after year. So you know when you go to a the typical public private school, uh, you've got a teacher for a year, maybe two in some cases, but you get passed on along down the line. Um, parents know their kids' weaknesses, they know their strengths, and they can they can focus in on those. Um, Home, home education works particularly well for kids who have special needs of some sort, uh, whether it's a learning disability, learning challenge. Uh, parents parents can, again, provide a safe environment, give one-on-one instruction, and uh, and really take uh, the, the, the specific needs of a child into consideration when they're teaching. So home education delivers all that in a way that virtually no other form of education can.
0: I've heard some naysayers about homeschooling point out that, well, you know, parents aren't experts in all these things that they're teaching, but it's like teachers aren't experts in all the things that they're teaching. I mean, you know, the teachers that have to teach science may have had a science background in university, or they may not have. I mean, they may have taken, uh, whatever, and then they've just had this, especially at the elementary level. They've just had all of these things land in their lap that they need to brush up on. So they're reading from the same curriculum that parents are going to. And I I think in that sense, uh, your, your points are incredibly valid there. Uh, well, listen, it is a fascinating discussion, one we'll have to revisit because I realize we, we've only scratched the surface here. Uh, Peter Stock is the president of the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, Paige McPherson, director of education policy with the Fraser Institute, and Catherine Cavanaugh, Alberta liaison officer with CARDIS. Thank you so much to all three of you. It was a pleasure. Thank you.
1: Thank Thanks, you. Andrew.
0: All right. That does it for us. We will talk to you next week with more of the Andrew Lawton show here on True North. Thank you. God bless and have a great weekend. Thanks
2: for listening to the Andrew
1: Lawton show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.